You are listening to content from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, you can find us on the web at ChristOurHopeAnglican.org. And now, here's today's message. So last weekend, I went down to Colorado Springs on Friday night and Saturday um, to Imagination Redeemed, which is the annual conference of the Anselm Society. Now, if you've been here for a while, you have heard me talk about the Anselm Society more than once. Um, but just in case you, it's new to you, um, it is a group of people, um, a group of Christians, who are working for the redemption of the Christian imagination. So it is made up of storytellers and artists, of people who love truth and beauty, of, of those who enjoy good literature, of those who are writers themselves. And it is fun when we get together and we are able to have conversations and talk and worship together with this eye towards beauty and the, the wonder of the Christian imagination. And there were lots of different talks throughout the weekend. All of them were themed in this case on time, about what are you going to do with the time that God has given you. Um, but my favorite talk was actually on Saturday morning. Heidi White gave a talk, and some of you know her because she's the same person who came up last November and told a story here in Fort Collins. She was telling the story of the Iliad and talking a bit about how those great stories, as we enter into those great stories, um, actually shape us, inform us, and prepare us for the great story of the gospel. And this morning, uh, there were several things. I can't go over all of Heidi's talk, or I would just give her talk, and it would take the whole, the whole time that I have here. Um, but uh, Nathan, our, our music director, was asking me what stuck out from the weekend before he left for his own trip this weekend. And the thing that stuck out with me was from Heidi's talk, was she talked about this idea of logos and mythos. And these are words that are from Greek, and they're borrowed, they were used in ancient Greek philosophy to talk about different ways of knowing. So when we talk about the way of knowing that is logos, this is the word that logical comes from. It's the rational way of knowing, where we are focused on what is true, what can we build up from this knowledge. This is where we talk about facts and being able to understand what happened and put all that together in a systematic way that makes sense. And it is a good way of knowing, it is important. Um, compared to mythos, which is the word where we would get our, our concept of myth from, of story. And this is an imaginative way of knowing. So if logos is the rational way of knowing, mythos is the imaginative way of knowing. It's telling stories to make sense of your world. And there was a period of time in the ancient Greek philosophers where they kind of thought that they were moving and improving, where they had told all of these myths and stories, and now they're going into the better way of knowing, which is logos. You're moving from one to the other. But I think that we actually really need both. We need to have the rational way of knowing. We need to have facts and an understanding of how to put the world together in that way. But we also need to be people who tell stories and tell the right sorts of stories because stories are how we make meaning out of all of those assorted facts that we take in. It's why the Bible is given to us, and not just as a series of propositional truths of things that we're supposed to believe about God and about the world. It's given to us with 
sections that have law and that describe the philosophy and the truth, but it also is given to us with narrative, with story, with poetry, with ways that work on making meaning of the world. Because it is entirely possible to have the right facts about the world at our disposal, but to string them together, to tie them together in a way that draws out the wrong meaning. And I think that's something that happens a bit in our gospel reading that we heard this morning. The gospel reading, Jesus is walking along, headed towards Jerusalem, which means that he has his face set towards the place where he knows that he is going to his death. He understands what is coming, the facts that face him in the story ahead, and he also has some idea of what it means. Even though, of course, throughout the gospels, his disciples miss that uh, as they're journeying with him. But he comes across, in between Samaria and Galilee, ten lepers in a small village. Leprosy was a disease, a skin disease of the ancient world, and it referred to more than just what we commonly think of as leprosy in our day and age. It was really uh, a name for a, a number of different skin diseases. So the symptoms, the severity of the actual symptoms could vary. For some people, they might be horrible. For some people, they might be relatively mild. But what it did to you socially, the way that it cut you off, was always horrible. Those who were diagnosed with leprosy, according to Jewish law, were basically ostracized from society. They could not come within 50 paces of anybody who they saw. They had to call out that they were unclean so that people could know to avoid them. If they went into a home, that home was considered unclean and it had to be ritually cleansed before people could come into it again without being tainted. Basically, rabbis of the time talked about leprosy as a disease of the people who were the living dead. They may as well be dead. They were so cut off. They could not participate with their families. They couldn't participate in normal worship. And they said that healing leprosy was as hard as raising someone from the dead because that's basically what you're doing. You're restoring them back to their, to their life if they're healed. And these lepers have heard of Jesus. There's a story earlier in Luke where he heals a man and he actually does it in the most astounding way in that he reaches out and touches him. And this disease that they were so worried about infecting people that they cut them off and kept distance. In Jesus, it works the other way around. His holiness is contagious more so than the disease. And the leper is saved. But they don't even come up to Jesus. They don't break that 50-pace barrier. They call at him from a long way off. And they just cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And he does. Jesus tells them, go and show yourselves to the priests and you will be cleansed. This was the, what was prescribed in Jewish law. This was what they were supposed to do. If there was a healing from leprosy, you had to go and have the priest examine your body to look over you and say, yes, in fact, it has gone away. You're cleansed. You can, you can be reintegrated back into society. And all ten of them head out in faith after crying out to Jesus. He says, go to show yourself to the priests, and they begin to go. And as soon as they begin to go, their skin no longer has the the marks, the blotches that indicate leprosy. They no longer are people who are going to be considered unclean. But before they can actually be around people, before they can come in contact, they have to go and speak to the priest, and they have to be told that they're approved, that they're cleansed, that they can be, again, a member of society. And so there's this sense that you get of 
of just thinking through what they would have been through, the joy that they would have as they were going to show themselves to the priest to be cleansed. And all of them have the same facts before them. Of faith. They were men who were unclean. They were lepers. They cried out to Jesus and they asked for mercy. And then they were made well. And this is good. But there's one who sees things beyond just the facts of being cleansed. Beyond just the fact that he was healed. Beyond even the fact that he's going to get to be with his family again. He recognizes in this moment that the power of God is at work through this man, Jesus. He sees something that is so powerful that as soon as he sees his skin cleansed, he turns around and he runs back and he's praising God, giving glory to God, and he's filled with gratitude and he falls at the feet of Jesus to give thanks. And the way that Luke describes this is actually really similar to the way that Luke describes the shepherds who heard the message from the angels and came to Jesus, that they left that moment, they had this encounter with God with his messages, with his messengers through the angels, and they turned around and they were glorifying and giving thanks as they come before Jesus. Then they fall and they're singing praises and they're giving thanks to God for what he has done. They understood that that moment was not just a miracle. It was an encounter with God. And that doesn't just come from the facts because so often we can miss that when it's right in front of us. We have moments where God is working in our lives, in the world around us, and the facts are available to everybody. But what is the story that we understand? Earlier this week, I was sitting down for a morning prayer when my daughters got up um, and they came and joined me at the table. So I poured some cereal for them, and they sat down, and I was, was going through the morning office, and I was reading some psalms out loud. And there's, we were reading Psalm 65 together, and there's one line in Psalm 65 where it says that the, he shall make the morning and the evening shout for joy. And I was like, did you know that when there's a sunrise, it's shouting for joy. It's singing praises to God. And my daughters were like, no. I didn't realize that. So this was before the sun came up. So for the next like 20 minutes, we kept on looking and peeking out the window, waiting for that moment to say, look, it's shouting for joy. Look, we want to shout with it. We want to be able to, to give praise to God for what he's doing here. And it's not just seeing the beauty in the sunrise. That's something that can be seen for everybody. But there's this question of, is your mind see it as an opportunity where God is doing something wonderful and you can give thanks, and you can praise Him. If we went and visited a hospital, how many people are made well physically each day? How many get to walk out because of what the doctors have done and their knowledge? How many people get good news that perhaps is unexpected? And how many of them recognize that it's a chance to praise God and give thanks. 
How many of us recognize that in the moment a little while later when we have confession and we cry out to God for mercy and we hear that our sins are forgiven because of what Jesus has done, that in that moment of prayer and in that moment of confession, there is an encounter with the living God who is doing something miraculous. And there is an opportunity in that for praise and gratitude because of what God has done. Do we see what's happening all around us? That every moment is filled with the glory of God. That the earth does not go around the sun except for by God's word sustaining it. That forgiveness of sins does not happen apart from him. That there is good news. Over and over again there's good news. And do we recognize it for what it is? Seeing what God is doing, recognizing the way that he is moving in the world is not some extra thing that's added on to the gospel. It's not something where, even in this story that is before us, where the one person got it, everybody was healed. But what he recognized was not just some small thing, because when he came back, Jesus spoke these strange words over him. He said there were ten who were healed. Where are the other nine? And that we can understand, an admonition against the gratitude that we lack, because all of us have moments where we forget to be grateful to God. But then, as this one leper is at his feet, Jesus says, now you can go. Your faith has made you well. And you just have to stop back for a moment and ask, But wait a minute, weren't they made well just a moment ago when they started to head towards the priests? Weren't all ten of them made well? Why does Jesus look at this one man and say to him, your faith has made you well? When you look at the Greek here, I don't like the translation of you've been made well in this particular case. The word that is translated here in our ESV translation that we read this morning is you have been made well. And it's usually, it's often translated the same way in most other versions of the Bible. But the word is the word sozo, salvation. What he is saying to this leper is you have been saved. In fact, throughout the Gospel of Luke, there are, this word is used over and over again in Luke and Acts. And I went back and looked at all the different times that it's used. And most of the time, more often than not, when this word is used, it is talking about the same sort of salvation that we talk about when we talk about the gospel and freedom from sins. It is possible in Greek. This word encompasses wellness and wholeness, and it encompasses the idea of healing. But in this particular passage, there are two other words that are used earlier in the passage. There's a different word that's used for healing when it says that he was healed. And there's a different word that is used for being cleansed when it says that all the lepers were cleansed. And so the fact that this phrase comes up at this moment, he has been cleansed, he has been healed, and he has been saved And he was saved because he saw what God was doing and responded to it. 
This is the faith that God calls us to. This is the faith that we have. God shows grace and mercy to everyone. Sometimes we think that we have a monopoly on God's grace and mercy as Christians, as if somehow he gives it to us and to no others. But that's not the case. God pours out grace upon those who never see. The Bible says that he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. There are those who seem to prosper and to be wealthy, who don't understand that all that they have comes from God. There are those who are made well, maybe even miraculous healing that never recognize and give thanks. And there are those who are Christians, who desire to be made well, and they don't see the wholeness of their body in this life. But if we have faith, if we have eyes to see what is happening, then we will see God's mercy poured out over and over again. We will walk through the world and we will look at it differently. Our sight will be different. We will see things with the eyes of our imagination. And a lot of times we think of imagination as making something up that's false. I'm imagining something that's false. But imagination is part of how we see real and true things that are right there in front of us but are not visible to our eyes. I cannot see with my eyes the love that my wife has for me. But I can imagine it. I can see it that way. I can see evidence of God's grace and mercy over and over again. But I can't see grace and mercy. These are not things that I can arrive at just by rational deduction and see it all. It's part of the story of what God is doing. The story that we are given and drawn into. The story that we are made a part of. The story that we tell over and over again about how God chose a people and that He has been saving them over and over again. That it has been His business and that He has grafted us into that story so that that story is ours. And the question is, do we see it? Do we see it each and every day, over and over again? Do we understand what God has done for us? And do we praise Him? Do we give thanks? Do we respond in faith? Where our eyes are opened and we see the grace and mercy of God poured out upon us because that is the faith that saves us. To see the grace that He has already given We get to practice that every time that we come together. There is no greater practice than gathering around the table. And a little bit later in the service, I'll break bread and I'll pour out wine. And I'll pass it along to each one of you and I'll tell you this is the body of Christ that is broken for you. This is the blood of Christ that is poured out for you. And if you look at it just with your eyes, if you taste it just with your tongue, all you will find there is bread and wine. You can't take a mass spectrometer to it and find some difference that has happened after we've blessed it. But if your eyes are opened by faith, If your eyes are opened by faith, then when you hold out your hands to receive it, 
what you are receiving is not just bread. It is the body of Christ. It is God's grace given to you. His very Son given for you so that you can be in relationship with Him. When you dip it in the wine, you put it on your tongue. It's not just a snack or a little piece of a meal. It's a feast. Because God's grace is poured out abundantly. And all we need is a little taste to remind us that we see it every day. The Eucharist is a chance to train our eyes of faith, to train the way of knowing that works through that imaginative way of knowing. And it's not just because we receive grace in this moment, it's because when we have been trained in this way of seeing, then when we step out of this place, we see it all over the place. The sacrament of the bread and the wine prepares us to live a sacramental life where we can look at everything that we receive as gift. And we can give thanks and we can offer it to God and find that it is transformed because it has new meaning. This is the gift that God is calling us to. The way of seeing that He is calling us to. The faith that He is calling us to. To not see an empty world that is devoid of meaning, just filled with facts and things. But to see a world that is caught up in His story of grace and redemption. And to know that you are part of that story. That when you cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. He does. And when you fall at his feet with praise and thanksgiving in response for what he has done, then you can go because your faith has saved you. Amen. This sermon is an audio ministry from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you are in the area and would like to learn more about how you can worship with us in person or online, please visit us on the web at www.christourhopeanglican.org.